Hello, and welcome to Forefront 360, where we discuss the intersection of the arts and the Christian faith. I'm Rich Chrisman, and with me today I have Cody Schweikert. What's up? Nate Mancini. Hello. And we have a guest on today, Mike Swanson. Hey. <laughs> hey, Mike. Hi, Mike. How's Why don't you... Um, so I, I've known Mike for a few years. We uh, were... We, had a church plant together in Pittsburgh for a little bit, among other people. Nice. But uh, we we know Mike mostly through uh, our attendance just a few weeks ago at the Jubilee Conference in Pittsburgh, Jubilee 2020. Yeah. So, uh, Mike, would you take a second to just introduce yourself and tell us who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, so my name is Mike Swanson. I work for uh, an organization called the CCO. Um, it's the organization that hosted Jubilee 2020. Uh, we are a campus ministry organization, um, and so I serve the CCO as the assistant director of training. So I work primarily with first and second year staff, teaching them um, essentially how we how we in the CCO do campus ministry. So we're a little bit unique in that sense uh, that I think there's a couple things that are like really uh, salient for who we are um, that are distinct. Uh, one of them being a huge emphasis on the integration of faith and vocation. Um, so that, which is, you know, rich, what you and I had initially connected on. And then secondly, mm-hmm. we do things, um, if you're familiar with maybe some other campus ministries, we do things a little bit differently in that we, uh, help place staff, um, in church partnerships. So practically speaking, mm-hmm. what that looks like is that we get our campus staff. And so instead of kind of, uh, air dropping them onto campus and saying, figure it out, uh, we work with local churches to help. Uh, develop partnerships where our staff will come on um, as a partially paid staff, partially funded through local churches, um, and then it gives them a context for the ministry that they're doing. So our goal is not to just do, like, build a CCO kingdom, but to serve the local church specifically by reaching out to college students and, and hopefully um, seeing them transformed by the power of the uh, the gospel of Christ and his kingdom. So um, that's a little bit about who I am and, and, and what the CCO is. So CCO standing for Christian Coalition of Outreach. Did I get that right? Uh, super close. Coalition for Christian Outreach. Shoot. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> That's okay. Coalition of Christian it's, Outreach. It's, uh, I, I, it's funny. Name. It's fine. Yeah, and I didn't even know CCO existed until I went mm-hmm. to Jubilee a couple of weeks ago, and I worked for Crew, Campus Crusade for Christ, for a mm-hmm. couple of years, and I love Crew, but one mm-hmm. of the things we had a hard time doing was uh, communicating to college students that Crew was not a replacement or a substitute for the local right. church. And so when I learned that CCO works really closely with the local church, I thought that was so cool. Yeah. So, I mean, part of my story with the CCO, I've been working with the CCO for uh, coming up on finishing my eighth year, starting my ninth. Um, and so I was serving at uh, Penn State in State College, Pennsylvania, with a church there. And then my wife and I helped to plant a church out of that church. And we eventually moved to Pittsburgh where we met Rich through another church plant. So uh, for most of my adult life, it's been this doing ministry and thinking about kind of the bridging the gap between the, the church and the campus, um, which is who we are in the CCO. So, How broad is the CCO's reach? Like, are you guys nationwide or uh, regional? Yes, we, uh, for the, we, are, we are nationwide in the sense that we have staff ranging from Riverside, I think it's Riverside, California, to uh, Boston and kind of everywhere in between. Um, over the past maybe five years or so, we've outgrown the Pennsylvania, like mid-Atlantic geographic footprint. So the CCO was started in Pittsburgh uh, in the 70s with this kind of original vision of seeing uh, Pittsburgh become more famous for God than the steel industry. 
uh, which if you know anything oh, about the that history is of such Pittsburgh, a cool mission it is a cool vision um, so if you know anything about Pittsburgh in the 70s like that's you know probably 40 to 50 percent of the workforce in Pittsburgh had some overlap with the steel industry and so mm-hmm. what the CCO was born out of was seeing a bunch of students um, like high school students coming to Christ coming to Christ through the Jesus movement if you're familiar with that kind of theological movement in the late 60s and early 70s Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that you have a ton of high school students that are now going to college and they're like, well, we don't, you know, there's nobody who's really serving, trying to connect these students to help usher them through in their faith from high school to the post-college thing. So mm-hmm. the CCO started actually as an outgrowth of um, uh, Young Life and some oh, folks. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's where it started. And then pretty early on, uh, this vision started taking off where um, they... The, the kind of founders of the CCO wanted to work not just to like build up the name of the CCO, but for their staff and the language in our kind of founding documents is all about like infiltrating uh, the culture under like under other organizations, not in like mm-hmm. a, a deceptive sense, but to say like, it's not about the CCO. We we've had this kind of DNA of partnership from our very beginning. Um, and so eventually that transformed from a broad, you know, anyone will kind of take us to, uh, a conviction that like the ministry should happen through the local church, um, mm. which is kind of where we sit today. So very cool. Yeah, that's really inspiring uh, to me as a person, but also to us as Forefront Festival organization because I think that, um, especially, I mean, probably in any sort of field, but I've seen in a lot of Christian organizations, uh, we seem to actually be a lot of times competing with each other, mm-hmm. you know, like different organizations that have the same goal or, or at least a similar umbrella goal of, you know, serving Christ and, you know, growing the kingdom of God. Um, but we're like, oh, you know, this organization is doing this here and this organization is doing this and, mm-hmm. and we are partnered with this one specific church and blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's frustrating. Um, I, I think it's a really inspiring model to use the structures that already exist mm-hmm. you know to try to like mm-hmm. staff and connect with people yeah yeah i mean that's churches... very biblical too like mm-hmm. if someone's preaching christ that's awesome you yeah know? That's, they're on our team mm-hmm. yeah and, and, and the reality is like so part of part of my role in the cco is that i get to get my nose into statistics about um, kind of where broadly speaking Western culture, at least in America, is going. And so I spent a lot of time talking with folks at like Barna and, you know, for example. Um, so David yeah. Kinnaman was at Jubilee on Sunday morning, um, but we have a good relationship with them. He, uh, his, he just recently published a book with a guy named Mark, Martin Matlock uh, called Faith for Exiles that, that is kind of a, uh, they've been doing a, a long-term study on millennials and Gen Zers uh, for the past you know, 10 years or so. Um, there are a couple books that have come out of that, but the most recent one called Faith for Exiles is a spotlight on what they call resilient disciples of Jesus. So uh, by and large, this is a sweeping generalization, so <laughs> hear that for what it is. But yeah. uh, by and large, like folks our age, um, even if they would self-identify as Christian, which the reality is more and more people are self-identifying as something other than Christian, especially those who have like, grown up with some proximity to Christianity, whether it's in the church, around the church, whatever. Um, more, the folks who identif- self-identify as Christian, only about uh, somewhere between 10 and 15% of them actually hold uh, a like a biblical worldview. And I'm not talking like 
right. uh, some like nuanced theological, like, hey, here's the mechanism of what's happening during baptism or something. Like, I'm not, I'm not in the weeds like that. Just things like, you know, God created the universe good. Like, very, very basic. Mm-hmm. Um, what yeah, I would basic consider orthodox found, Christianity. Yeah, just foundational kind of stuff. That yeah. like, mm-hmm. if we're disagreeing on this, I don't think we're actually even talking about the same like religious construct. Um, and so only about 10 to 15% of those folks are holding to a like Orthodox Christian worldview. Um, but the cool thing is that those folks, it seems are like totally sold out for Jesus and they're hungry to see, um, their faith intersect with, uh, the entirety of the world that they live in. So, uh, whereas our parents were very content to kind of just go to church on a maybe Sunday, um, and, and identify as a Christian and that's fine. Um, it seems like our generation and younger have this desire that if faith is going to be true, then I have to, I have to work out my, to, you know, to borrow from the apostle Paul, I have to work out my salvation in every sphere of my life. It can't just be that I go to youth group on a Sunday, on, like on a Sunday night or something like that. But I'm asking about what does this mean? Like if I'm a Christian and Jesus is my King, what does it mean that he is my, the King of my academics and of the relationships that I'm, that I'm in and of, the shows on Netflix that I watch, the video games that I play, the books that I read, um, you know, mm. so and so forth. Uh, so um, that's where I feel like we in the CCO, um, I'm encouraged because this is what the conversation we've been having is that the church is important, not just important, it's essential, <laughs> and that your faith does intersect every sphere of your life. So what does that mean? What does it look like? Let us try to teach you, disciple you to figure out what that what it looks like to submit every area of your life into the Lordship of Christ. So that's like a really encouraging thing in a way, because I feel like our culture is very allergic to hypocrisy. And a lot of the times when, when people get like lambasted for something, it's hypocrisy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Oh, you say you believe this, but you're not living that way. Right. Um, there's like an allergy to that right now. And I think the, the bright side of that is what you're talking about that like, like young people realizing that if they say they believe something, they actually have to live that out everywhere. There has to be some kind of consistency mm-hmm. and like they, they know intuitively that they can't separate their life. Yeah. And it has to be integrated. Yeah. And I and think also, just to kind of jump on that a little bit, I, I think one of the things that I see so often uh, is that older ministry leaders, whether that's pastors, elders, whatever the case is, um, tend to assume that, what the younger, what younger generations want from them is to be this like superhero leader that has everything figured out. They have the right answer and they have to like be perfect. And I don't think that's necessarily what younger generations are looking for. I think younger generations are looking for what I would call just honesty, right? That like, this is hard. Following Jesus is not an easy thing, but we're committed to kind of working this out together, knowing that we're probably going to fail. So like, let's, again, to borrow the the words of the apostle James, like let's restore one another in gentleness um, as we continue to go. And I think that that posture of like, let's travel together on this road rather than let me tell you how to do this because I've done it perfectly um, is, is a change that, that uh, in, in the desire that we're seeing from college students right now. That, that's so true. Cause like one thing, like I'm a high school teacher, so I deal with zoomers all day. <laughs> and um, the, I'd like the one thing that I've seen 
And for the record, anybody who doesn't know, we're talking about our people our age. And we're all in our like late 20s, just for the record. If you guys I, I, I identify as mid-20s. Mid-20s. Right. Cody, Thank yeah, you very much. I forgot you're a baby, I'm Cody. only 26. All right, calm down, gentlemen. Yeah, I forgot about your, your baby face over there. But the uh, the um, I think that one thing that I see very frequently, which I think is actually really healthy uh, for the world and the culture and the church, is like Nate was saying, and, and you're saying, Mike, like this allergy to hypocrisy. I think that what pe- what young people are very quick to see as false and not worth following is when someone claims, whether this is a spiritual thing or like a health thing or a self-care thing or whatever, when someone says almost like a snake oil thing, they're like, here's this thing, this philosophy, this essential oil, this whatever, that is going to solve your depression or your feelings of inadequacy or, you know, whatever. And I think that for a long time in this like postmodern era so far, the church has been broadcasting itself as a place where you can come and get rid of all the problems in your life. And in in many ways, if I was going to attack problems in my life, the church is the first place I'm going to go and that's good. But I think that the Actually, back at Forefront uh, 2019, Austin Zick said that he uh, he shared a quote from somebody else that uh, a, a lot of the um, he was saying a lot of the problems that we experience in the world is because we have unrealistic expectations for people and things. Mm-hmm. And I think that the church being honest that like and not putting forth this facade that like, oh, if you come to church, all of a sudden you're going to be like the best person, you know, mm-hmm. and your life is going to go great. And, you know, Jesus is going to give you health and wealth and and good friendships and, and good, good relationships vibes. yeah good, good vibes, vibes. Yeah. yeah yeah you might even you know you know yeah so mm-hmm. i feel it yeah and and in light of this conversation i'm really interested to hear from you mike about like the the role of the jubilee conference which is kind of where our paths crossed mm-hmm. um recently and it's something we've been talking about on the show recently um just how how awesome that conference was mm-hmm. and um i was just wondering if we could hear a little bit about the, the purpose of that, that CCO puts on this conference and really goes all out and it's really well done and amazing. Could you just talk a little bit more about what's the purpose of the conference and specifically like the, the artistic uh, element to it? Sure. Yeah, because you guys clearly put a lot of energy and thought into like selecting and inviting particular artists and speakers. Mm-hmm. So like I'd love to hear about that too. Yeah. Um, so, you know, before I kind of dive into that, I want to say that there's not a, like, there, for us, Jubilee has many functional purposes within the CCO. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's not, so keep in mind, you know, we are a campus ministry organization. And as such, like, we have a kind of a category of things that we talk about in our our organization called transformative opportunities. Uh, And we file Jubilee as one of a number uh, of things that would fit in that category. And and the, the simple idea is that there was some research done, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago or so that named that when college students have a significant um, interaction with uh, some space or place that is vastly different from their kind of um, mm-hmm. typical lives on campus. That, Daily life, day to day. Yeah, uh, something that was called in that report a transformative opportunity. Um that their faith sticks, you know, exponentially more mm-hmm. um, after college. And so as the, as the CCO, we've leaned into that. Now, Jubilee has been going on since the 70s. Um, but uh, for us, 
one of the primary places that we engage Jubilee is not just as a like a theological dispensation, um, because I mean realistically we do have a bit of a unique theological perspective as an organization. We're distinct from um, from you know maybe navigators or crew or disciple makers or RUF in that sense. Um, but it, but keep in mind that like for us one of the primary places that we um, that we hope students will encounter something transformative is at Jubilee. So, and I would be remiss to, to talk about it, uh, to not talk about that as a part of this. Like we want that weekend to be transformative, but the way that we talk about it with our staff is to say, Jubilee is worth what you take home from it. So come, have a great experience, have fun, be transformed, but we want you to take something significant away from this. And so from top to bottom, we're trying to do everything that we can as an organization to make it as easy as possible for students to take something home with them and actually labor towards bringing the kingdom on their campus as it is in heaven. So that's a little bit of the perspective that we come from kind of off the top. Uh, with that said, um, so theologically, um, we have been an organization that has been born out of um, like a, a reformational worldview, um, like a Dutch reformational worldview. So. The names like Kuiper and Bavink, um, Abraham Kuiper and Herman Bavink, at the turn of the 20th century, these, these Dutch guys. So Kuiper is this um, this statesman out of the Netherlands, and he is super famous uh, for for lots of things because he was the prime minister of the Netherlands. But he set up uh, you know a seminary there, and um, and his uh, really it was a theological philosophy. It wasn't necessarily even a theology, but his theological philosophy was that. Um, the lordship of Christ necessarily must extend into every sphere of the creation, right? So he talks about education and politics and, and family and government and, you know, like literally everything that you can think of and saying, if it's true in the scriptures that we read that Jesus, is, that the gospel announcement is one announcing the inauguration of Christ's kingdom and his lordship over the whole of the cosmos, um, then part of what it means for us to be his vice regents is to essentially ask the question, what does the reign of Christ look like in these different uh, places? So, you know, that necessarily has this eschatological bend to it that says, you know, we, we don't believe that, um, you know, so I did a little bit of homework. I was listening to uh, the, the Forefront podcast the past couple episodes, um, and you guys touched on this a little bit, but like we don't believe um, that the, you know, Jake Meter um, said this as well. If, if the end of time looks like God falling up the creation and throwing it away in favor of this like ethereal spiritual heaven place, um, mm -hmm. then like the arts don't matter. Then your job doesn't matter. You're, they're, at best, they're fun time wasters until that time happens. But we really know that it's all going. It's it's all going to burn up at the end. Um, or yep. or alternatively, they're only valuable insofar as they will save souls. Yes, exactly. And, and that's, you know, we would call that a um, traditionally pietistic stance towards culture. Yeah. We don't take that because our eschatological framework is one of restoration and consummation. Where the, um, so I'll, I'll borrow uh, from N.T. Wright here. He talks about this overlap between the ages that we see inaugurated in the New Testament, um, where you have the, the the age of man or the age of the powers of the air, maybe is a, is a better biblical term for it. Um, we see that coming to a close 
with the resurrection of Christ. And, and at the same time, we see the, the kingdom of Christ being inaugurated um, with the resurrection, right? He is the first for, firstborn among the dead. He is, um, we read in Paul that he, that, that the Lord is uh, subjecting all of the enemies and powers of this world uh, under the feet of Christ. Um, and yet we see that wars rage, depression exists, the coronavirus is alive and well. Um, mm-hmm. So I, we have this overlap between the age where sin reigns and the age that has been inaugurated where Christ is king. And so mm-hmm. they're overlapping, right? They're existing in, in the way that tectonic plates might merge um, as the earth continues to shift. Right. The, the already, but not yet. You got it. Um, and so the question for us is, if we know as we look forward to the age that has been inaugurated and is to come, which is one where Christ is restoring all things, he is making all things new. Uh, on this earth. On this earth, right? That, and I, right. I mean, I think it's, you know, Jake pointed this out. Uh, it's, it's noteworthy that the vision in Revelation 20, 21, and 22 is not of Christ on the clouds. It's God coming down to be with his people, reigning in the holy city. Right, it's a gar- It's not the garden. It's not the clouds. It's a garden city, and I garden think city, you know. Yeah. I think that that is so so important for us because it says this is where we're going, and where we're going is not the forfeiture of everything that uh, that humanity has been commissioned to make in the image of God. It's the restoration. It's the transformation. Mm-hmm. It's it's the sanctification of all of these things, and so mm-hmm. if the vision of where we're going is this, uh, I mean, it, it's cool because like there's actually a Greek word for this. There's there's two Greek words um, used in the New Testament, both of which get translated in English to new. One is the word um, kainos. Um, well, let me start with the other. One is neos, which is like brand new. Um, so we, we read in Genesis 1 about the fact that God created everything out of nothing. Creatio ex nihilo. Um that it's brand new. Nothing existed and then something existed. The the New Testament, the Greek counterpart for that is the word neos. Um, but the word that when, when, when the Lamb, speaking from the throne of heaven in Revelation 21, says, I am making all things new, he does not use the word neos. He uses the word kainos, oh, wow. um, which has this connotation of almost like being refurbished, being remade. Um, wow. And so you, you then you kind of read, if we read that back into the New Testament, we see that the words translated from the Greek for salvation is the work of a doctor, of healing, of restoring, of making, of returning things to the state of what it should be. And so if we had to paint in really, really broad brushstrokes, what's the trajectory of the story of the Bible? It's not creatio ex nihilo, nihilo creation from nothing destruction in sin, uh, God punishing sin, and then God throwing the light. That's not the story. The story is creation, the disruption of sin, the distortion of the image, the uh, remaking of the image in favor of this new thing, right? So how, how could we maybe summarize this? Well, it's the fact that Jesus, when he is raised from the dead, he still bears his scars. And they are not just these scars that like we don't talk about. They are symbols of his glory that Mm -hmm. he uses to reveal to thomas that he is actually the reigning king right like we we meant it for evil but god meant it for good that's exactly what it is and so 
if that's kind of the framework or the narrative that we find ourselves like we're, we're a people of story whether we realize it or not mm-hmm. that like stories are far more powerful than any like i think fact that we can give them we we operate according to the stories that we believe mm-hmm. to be true and if the story that we believe it to be true is one where all things are being redeemed and eventually set in their proper ordering under christ then i think that has a significant impact on the way that I go about my studies, my relationships, my marriage, even my art. So that's the perspective, I think, theologically that we come from. It starts with the lordship of Christ in all things, and then um, it it, it moves into this eschatological vision of the the restoration of all things, which is one of the terms that we use. It's not my favorite biblical term, but that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> that's really cool Esch- eschatological like end times and the end of history yeah so the eschaton is, is the greek word for the, the, the end of time um it's right. the it's the point to which all things are moving right yeah so i think that that is the you talk about this story and this narrative that you know like moves our lives and i think that one thing that's just absolutely um so needed in our culture and in our world today is this idea that things are not many things are not temporal Mm -hmm. so you know like so and i think that having that um you know it communicating to the world as christians Mm -hmm. uh, i think maybe one of the you know and we talk about like saving souls like nate mentioned earlier Mm -hmm. like i feel like in the in the time and place that we're in right now there's such a anxiety and uh, and kind of depression in our culture because of this buy-in that we've had since like you know the 1960s forward that like you know what nothing really does matter you know like everything everything that's old is now past we got to get rid of it and you know we make new stuff but the new stuff only lasts a short time we get rid of it we replace it nothing lasts nothing matters mm-hmm. everything is kind of gnostic. Yeah. Exactly. Like, yeah. This this world doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I think that what people like we talked about young people earlier, but I think people of any age and any culture, I think that it is a fundamental human need to matter mm-hmm. and for the things that we do to matter. And um I don't think it's just a coincidence that the Christian worldview, when you actually read the scriptures and like look at the the grand narrative of the whole text, mm-hmm. it's not a just a convenient coincidence that the Christian worldview does give worth to the things that we do, mm-hmm. the art we produce, the things that we write, the ideas that we bring into the world. And, uh, and it's just really interesting that um, I think that almost this need, like the, the human need to matter has existed since the dawn of time, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I think that if you look at like culture over time, there have been times where that has really been at the forefront of discussion, like political discussion, philosophical discussion, and other times when it hasn't. And I think that um, yet, even when it's not in vogue to talk about like, does my art matter? Do my ideas matter? it still exists in the text, the timeless Mm -hmm. word of God. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of proves, at least to me, that it's not that like Christianity is now conveniently answering that question. Like, Oh, do we matter? And then, you know, church people are like, Oh yeah. You know, and God says you do, but like that existed long before this question was being discussed at large in Mm -hmm. our culture. So, so why does, how does all this inform specifically artists? If, Mm -hmm. you know, for artists listening, what what should this mean, and what how ought this change the way we approach art and 
make excellent art. And also consumers and collectors of art, I think, too. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah, so there's two thoughts that I have, and I don't want to put, in my mind, there's not, these are not one before the other. I think they have to exist um, coterminously, if that makes sense. So the first one is the fact that, so it goes back to, if we are created in, in the image of God. Okay, so let's, let's stop there and just examine the fact that when you read through the first two chapters of Genesis, if you had to put, you know, kind of put a modifier or a descriptor on who is the God of the first two chapters of Genesis, the only answer I think you can reasonably come to is that he is a creative God. He is a maker. He is, a, he is an artist of sorts. And so to bear the image of God means that we create. Like at least according to the first, it's like it's not like the the names for God that we see there don't reflect this. Like he's the covenant keeper God, or he's the rescuer, or the God who heals, or the God who see. Like he is the God who creates. That's the the picture that we get of the God of the first two chapters of Genesis, and that's I think that's so significant because those same two chapters tell us that we're made in His image, and so to be made in the image of a Creator God means that we are a, a people who create necessarily Mm -hmm. and so what it means to bear god's image means that we create now that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody has to be an artist but it does mean that where we create things what 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 andy crouch calls culture making where we make Mm -hmm. culture um actually is work that is done unto the worship of god right it's literally stepping into and fulfilling the created purpose that he has he has given us and ordained for us and so Mm -hmm. i think then to create things that are beautiful, whether that's architecture, paintings, music, um, or even a, like a, my wife is working on creating uh, some outdoor furniture for us because she likes doing that. Like whatever the case is, this idea of making uh, inherently carries with it worth because that's what we were created to do is to make. So we actually step into imaging God when we create. So I think also, Sorry, go ahead. Such a huge, I was just going to jump in and say, I mean, there's something to be said for the fact that one of the things that gives human beings the most joy and, and self-esteem and feelings of self-worth is in creating something. Mm-hmm. Like there's been all these studies that I've looked at where people, um, like ways to sort of combat depression is by becoming productive. And like once you see that you are able to create something, it like instills worth in us. Mm-hmm. And it could be a painting or it could just be a great cup of coffee. Yeah. You know, or furniture. You no, know, it should Ideally be. both. Ideally. <laughs> yeah. Were you, did you have a second point? Yeah, to that yeah, yeah. The, this, I think the second point. So first is if we had to make an argument for it, I think it's an argument from the idea of beauty. That beauty in yeah. itself, in and of itself, uh, images God. And that, the, mm-hmm. the, like by itself, the fact that that exists tells us that we are fulfilling our creative purpose. So I think what, how should this transform artists? You are literally doing what God has created you to do. And that like, mm-hmm. that's it, right? There's no mm-hmm. addition to that. I think the coterminous second piece to that is that we live in a cultural moment um, that um, I think hungers for transcendence, right? The opening lines of the novel, I am Charlotte Simmons talks about, or it says like, you know, I don't believe in God anymore, but I miss him. And I, and, uh, so Jamie Smith, uh, or James K. A. Smith, if you're familiar, like talks a lot about this um, current culture that we live in, live in um, a hungering for this transcendent thing. There's this ghost of it, what he what he calls the ghosts of transcendence, mm-hmm. that we long for God to be true, but we can't believe in him. 
And so I think Mm -hmm. if we create art that inherently whispers the name of Jesus, um, it doesn't have to be this explicit thing where we're painting the crucifixion. But if we're Mm -hmm. creating art that is beautiful, whether that's a painting or a cup of coffee um, and anything and everything in between, I think there's an inherently missional component to that. And what I mean by missional component is that when we do things well and we create beautiful art, it forces it like art that forces people to ask questions about the true nature of reality. Mm-hmm. That moves us into a conversation where we can say, I've created this art unto the glory of God, right? Sola Dea Gloria. Uh, Bach signed all of his pieces of music, SDG. Why? Soli Dea Gloria. Because for him, he was not writing to become at least in my understanding, he was not writing to become one of the greatest composers of all time. He was writing for, for the audience of God and God alone. And so, mm. um, you know, people... And what do you know? He became one of the greatest composers of all time. Sure. And I mean, mm. granted, the fact is, is that that man had uh, more talent in his little finger than I think I have in the whole of my head. But <laughs> it doesn't matter because like something about the, tr- the timeless truth of the music that he penned pointed back to this transcendent God. And it has since become a talking point for people, you know, for the past several hundred years. So I I look at the art that we create with a, when we do it like in worship, when we do it as a, as an act of, I am imaging God very intentionally with this. There's an inherently an emotion or an emotional component as we invite others to participate in that art with us. And so I think so it can be missional without being really explicit all the time. Well, I, I mean, at some point, I think we do get to right, like, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. sharing the gospel. Like, you have to make an announcement, right? The gospel yeah, is inherently yeah. news. But I think right. it can be one of those things that good art can serve as a beautiful bridge to like mm-hmm. start engaging people uh, in what they're longing for already. So I, I think for artists to say, not only am I doing this for my in my own worship of the creator Mm -hmm. but to say Mm -hmm. what if i ask the question what would it look like if god has intentionally created me with this gift both to worship him for his delight alone and to invite others who have not experienced that delight into experience that delight through this even as a looking through uh, a mirror dimly lit yeah really well said yeah so mike as we wrap up here i want to make this really concrete is there any uh, any book or music or film, anything you've seen recently that's really touched you and has really um, connected you to the transcendent in that way that you want to share with us? Yeah. Um, so two, two books or two things I think that I would want to highlight. One is a book called Booked. Um, it's by a woman named Karen Swallow Pryor. Um, uh, love Karen Swallow. Oh, yeah. we love her. So yeah. one of her earlier books, the coolest is, Karen, is uh, called <laughs> Book, and it's just kind of a, a almost like a faith autobiography of how her faith was strengthened through reading classical literature. Um, so wow. I come back to that book somewhat regularly, and um, it's an inspiration to me because it's like this is a woman who deeply loves Jesus and um, is, is calling and leading a lot of people towards the fullness of Christ and her, yeah. the, the path that she like walked to get there was through classic literature, not necessarily through Bible study. So to me, that's inspiring and challenging. Um, and then the, hey, God is a God of all things. Oh, for sure. 
if, as if I haven't made that clear enough already. But <laughs> um, he already said that, Rich. And, and I think the second one, this is going to be the maybe more obscure one. So um, I we love that. Yeah. So I I grew up as a, and I feel very comfortable saying this. I, I grew up as an emo kid uh, in the early two thousands, <laughs> nice. right? Nice. Um, and so I, you know, grew up in and around. I played in hardcore bands in college. I was the screamer for like. Uh, a, a math rock band uh, that I was in, like this is news to me. Can we, can we get a scream? Wow. Or is that, uh, I don't want to blow, my, do don't blow my vocal cords out. They're not; they don't have the strength that they did. Uh, I feel like this is a whole other podcast that we need to do with you. <laughs> sure. Can you be the featured artist at a next meetup? <laughs> I don't know. We'll I don't know that my art is excellent, but we tried. Um, <laughs> so, uh, all that is to say, I have this. Like, you know, I still listen to really heavy music. It's um, yeah, I love it. And one of the bands that continues to challenge and inspire me is a band called Silent Planet. And specifically, the guy that writes all their stuff is a guy named um, Garrett uh, Garrett Russell. And um, uh, I, I, if I were you, if you're not into the music, that's fine. Um, not, it's definitely not everyone's cup of tea. But here's a guy who, um, so he's, if I understand it right, he has a Masters of Counseling from Azusa Pacific. Um, and like has stepped into a music scene where dealing with like mental health issues is oftentimes at the forefront. Um, no pun intended. And, um, I think he's done an incredible job of being like deeply Christ-like in those spaces, um, and making really good music. Like they, um, I mean, I think two years ago, three years ago, something like that, they released a record that won um, like the the metalcore subreddits album of the year, wow. which is a big deal. Wow. I mean, like you know, I realize yeah. that that's niche, but like they are a band that people respect, like for the sake of that's... creating good art. And right. Garrett is like very unashamedly wrestling through issues of what does it mean for me to be. I mean, like just uh, late last year, he like. Uh, was very open like the band quit touring because he was like hey my mental health and anxiety is off the charge and so i'm going to check myself into like a 30-day facility and like they quit touring but he was explicit about like if i if i like want to like if i'm want to be who i say i want to be then i have to do this and like that type of integrity um both in the artistic process and just in like the there's congruency between who he is on monday Mm-hmm. and who he is throughout the rest of the week like i respect it is that is so you said the band is silent planet yeah i'm a big fan of them um is that a is that a reference to a c.s lewis space trilogy i, you think? I think Out so um planet? i don't again i don't know that for sure um but i right. do know that they have other c.s lewis references littered oh, throughout their cool. music um cool. so I, we'll go with that then so yeah, I, I would. Um, I'd, if you're not into the music, that's fine. But at least check out um, Garrett's prose is fantastic. Cool, cool. Well, this has been awesome, Mike. Yeah. Thank you so much yeah, for being dude, with yeah. us. Absolutely. Yeah, that was so that was so enriching. I, I loved hearing hearing what you had to say, man. Yep. Yeah, Mike. If anybody wants to connect with you or with the CCO, where should they go to do that? Um, I mean, you can check out our website. It's ccojubilee.org. Um, that's going to be a great place to to start. Um, but if you, if you want to, if you want to connect with me, um, I would say you can either just reach out to me like on Instagram at, uh, at I am Mike Swanson. Um, and uh, I feel like Mike's got a dope Instagram feed. 
It's probably true. Is this true? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we'll now see. you got me thinking we'll about like what's the last couple of things. The last couple of things <laughs> that I've posted have been all like old dead white dude quotes. Um, which is like, <laughs> Did your Instagram start before or after the end of the emo days? Um, I think, well, Instagram wasn't super around in the emo <laughs> yep. days. That's the thing. I'm getting that old, too you know, bad. like, Okay. So Billy Eilish is bringing it back though, so no worries. I'm fine with it, man. Like, I'm I'm here for it. <laughs> so it's I am Mike Swanson. You, is that what you said the handle was? You got it. Yeah. The last the last post that I made is a a guy named John Webster. Um, it's like I'm trying to be super edgy on it and classic man. Yeah, it's hey, the fact that you use the word the verb made the post I made shows that you are a Christian creator and not just you know. <laughs> The last thing I threw up or posted. So anyway, culture making. Yeah, cool. Well, thank you for being with us, Mike. Absolutely. This was great. Uh, thanks for having me on, guys. I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. All right. So listeners, thanks for staying, sticking with us through this episode. Please uh, continue to put that effort into uh, intersecting your Christian faith and your excellent art. We'll see you next time. See you.